So uh, if I were to say to you, uh, God is good, and you say all the time. So one more time, if I were to say to you, God is good, and you say all right. So what is the evidence of that goodness to you? Why? Why? Am I too loud? All right. All right. Uh, I'm going to probably take this off in a minute. Uh, but uh, anyway, if I were to say to you, God is good all the time, and you say all the time, and I were to ask you, what is the evidence of that goodness in your life? Why do you know that God is good to you? Why do you know that? You can, you can contribute if you'd like, uh, or just think in your mind, why is God good to me? Is it because when I pray uh, for a parking spot at the mall that miraculously, when I just pull into the right spot, uh, a VW bug pulls out and I can pull my Durango right in? Is it because of that? Well, that could be, that could be an evidence, couldn't it? Is it because uh, my wife and I are, are getting along uh, great uh, today? Uh, you know, I, I, I often say that she is, uh, this is my wife right here. Give a, get a little, give a little wave there. Thank you very much. I often say to her that you're, uh, you're very, very fortunate to be married to me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the kind of response I get. Uh, uh, she, uh, because, because of being married to me, she's a lot more like Jesus, long suffering and patient and, uh, those kind of things. Uh, and that her reward, I say, you're fortunate to be married to me because your reward in heaven is going to be a lot bigger because, uh, you know, you've had to live a life of faith and, uh, patience and kindness. Is it because, is it just because me and her are getting along good today? Uh, what, what's the evidence of God's goodness to you? Well, uh, Romans eight thirty two. If you just want to turn there uh, real briefly, and then we're going to go to Numbers uh, in the Old Testament. The evidence of God's goodness to you, when I say God is good and you say all the time, here's the main evidence, the foundation that you can build your life on, whether you get a, a parking spot at the mall, whether your wife and you are doing good, whether the ministry is doing well, whether your children are doing well, whether you like your job or whether you don't. And all of those things are wonderful, and I like them, uh, uh, and we should like them. I should rejoice over them, but here is the evidence, and here's what it says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So I say, God is good, and you say? And I say, because of Jesus. You know that God is good to you because of Jesus. The evidence that God is good to you and that God is in a good mood when it comes to you is Jesus. That's a foundation that cannot be broken. The wind can come and the storms can uh, come and try to tear down the house. But if your life is based on that foundation, that you know that God is good to you and the main evidence of that is Jesus, you can, you can overcome whatever storm comes your way. And so uh, with that premise, I'd like you to turn to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. So Genesis, what's that word again? What's the second word of the uh, book of the Bible? Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers then. So Numbers 13, and this is the story of when the Israelites are about to go into the land of Canaan. That means that they're about to enter into God's promise for them, right? 
So here's some things that I'd like you to notice. Uh-oh, I'm already losing the crowd. <laughs> anyway, uh, Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord uh, said to Moses, Send some man to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to Israel. So uh, what I'd like you to get there is who's initiating that action? Who is, is bringing this together? Who's the initiator in this uh, passage right here in, in the first verse? Who's initiating it? Who wants to give them the promised land? The Lord. You can know that God is good to you and the evidence of that goodness is Jesus. And on that foundation comes the idea or the theology that God is always initiating in your life. He's always making the first move. He's always demonstrating his love to you. Now, sometimes I don't see it because I want him to, I want him to do something else. I want him to be a little more extravagant. I want him to be a little more loud. I, I get sick of that still small voice. voice. And I also am, am somewhat sick of his timing. It, it's, it's always a bit slow from my point of view. And when you look back on it, though, it's always, it's always perfect. But in the middle of it, you want him to... At least if you're like me, you want him to hurry up a bit. But I, I'd like you to understand that God is good to you and the foundation of that goodness is Jesus. And so therefore, you can expect God to initiate his promise in your life. You're not trying to get him. You're not trying to twist his arm. He wants to. That's what he's saying to these Israelites, isn't he? Let me read it to you again and see if we can uh, pick up the same thing. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. This next line is important. Of which I am what? Hmm, giving them. So let me ask you, what promise of God? It's got a long cord, so I can come down a little bit. What promise of God has God been initiating in your life? What, what, what promise, based on, based on Christ, is God initiating in your life? One of the promises that I hang on to every, almost every day of my life is because I deal with some anxiety uh, for whatever reason. And I, I, I have for years. I deal, with, I deal with some anxiety. So what's the promise of God that I hang on into my, into my life every day? God has not given me what? A spirit of fear, but of power and of love and what? And that's a big promise for me because I'm a little, uh, uh, I, I hang on to that promise every day. And I believe that God is initiating it in my life and so that I can stand in front of Teen Challenge uh, men and I can, I can stand in front of you. I can, I can deal with life in a faith-filled way instead of a fear-filled fear way. And I, I'm able to base my life on that promise because I believe that God is initiating that in my life. And why would I be able to say that? Because of Jesus. If he demonstrated his love to me by sending me Jesus, then handling my anxiety is nothing for him. And I believe that God is initiating it in my life. Now, do I wish he would take it away? Yeah, it would be nice. Now, I don't have anxiety every day, but I have it enough. I have it enough for it to bother me. I have it enough for it to make me go, come on. Just, I mean, but this way, what do I have to do? I have to, I have to look up. 
And I'm made very aware that in my weakness, what happens? Mm. I'm made very aware that in my weakness, he is made strong. And I don't have to waver on that and that his grace is sufficient for me. And I know it's true because he gave me Jesus already. So you know that God is good and you say, and the evidence of that is Jesus. And you know because of that, God is taking initiative in your life. That's our theology. He's not there from a distance like that stupid Bed Midler song years ago. God is watching us from a distance. What an idiotic song. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't let my own uh, opinions uh, come out. But that is a dumb song. God is on the initiation in your life. He's moving in your life, and nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not nakedness, not peril, not sword, not nothing. And the evidence of that is Jesus. How about that? So if you would, go down to verse uh, 16 of chapter 13 of Numbers. So the, uh, the previous verses are just telling you who and from what tribe was sent out to go spy out this land. So God is initiating. He wants them to move into the promised land. And then verse 16, these are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. And you see the names there. And then verse 17, when Moses sent them out to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So God has initiated this. He's going to have them enter into the promised land, and then he has them go spy it out. Have you ever wondered why? Just, just have them go in. Why did you have these guys take a look? It's almost like he wanted them to see the circumstances in which they were up against. The people that they were up against, the circumstances that would be there, the promises, the grapes, the blessing, all of it. He wanted them to see it with their own eyes. So in order to have faith, you don't have to ignore your circumstance. In order to believe that God is on the initiative, that God is on the move, and that God is good to you all the time because of Jesus, you don't have to ignore your circumstance. As a matter of fact, you get to look at your circumstance straight in the eye. You get to uh, look and stand up and say that uh, this circumstance will not overcome me, that uh, my own pride and my own initiation and will not, not be the center of my life. You get to look at your problems and understand that God is bigger than them. So here's my point. You get to draw conclusions about the circumstances of your life based on God and based on the promises of God. You no longer have to draw conclusions about God based on the circumstances of your life. You don't get to ignore the circumstances of your life. When you're sick, you're sick. When you have a car crash, you have a car crash. I've had lots of car crashes. Uh, this side of my face is, is rebuilt from years ago. They, they did a pretty nice job. They, they could have took some more off my cheeks. 
Uh, but uh, because I've become a full gospel preacher, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and, oh, that's another thing that Gary reminded me of when we were talking uh, uh, this week about me coming here, and we were talking about beliefs. And he said, "Do you remember they used to call you the fat one?" The uh, the natives there, for whatever reason, uh, called me the fat. Oh, here comes the fat one, the fat one. <laughs> I guess uh, in thirty years, not much has changed, right? I mean. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've become big in the ministry. I have no idea. Maybe, I, I thought in my mind maybe it was uh, they didn't have a, a, the right word for muscle. So uh, the, they just called me fat. But every time I went, so there's the fat one. I, I have no idea. So here's uh, God is taking initiative. God is good to you. And you no longer have to draw conclusions about God. Based on your circumstance, you can look at your circumstance and base your circumstance based on the promise of God. Does that make sense to you? This is going to be important. If you're ever going to draw near to God and walk in the promised land like He has you, you're going to be faced with circumstances in your life that make you want to go, is God really good to me? Is God really good to me? We all have had circumstances and situations like that. I'm going to tell you just briefly about one that my wife faced. She's had some physical issues and uh, back in 2006. Uh, she had to have some uh, four surgeries in a, in a matter of months. Her brain had sagged, sagged down into her spinal cavity and kind of destroyed her spinal cavity and drove the fluid from her spine down inside her spine and was cutting off some of her nerve endings and all of those kind of things and have you ever wanted one of those real miracles? You know, you, the kind that you go to the doctor one day and he says, Oh, my Lord, uh, this is what's happening to you. And then you call the prayer meeting, call the deacons, which we did right there. We call the deacons and we, and we pray and then we go back to the doctor. And then, have you ever wanted one of those where uh, they look at the x-ray and they go, I don't know the... The X-ray technician must have been on drugs, or, or uh, because it's it was there and now it's not. Have you ever wanted one of those? And we get we get the right to believe in those kind of miracles, right? We might as well keep praying for people like that until they either die or get healed, because either way they're going to be healed, either here, there, or in the air, as we used to say. We might as well be that kind of church, right? We 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 might as well. But that's not the kind of miracle we got. And between her second and third surgery, I got mad. And by then I had learned, uh, instead of going away from God, I'll show him, I'll just stay away from him when I'm mad. What a boneheaded move that is, right? I'd learned to go toward him when I'm mad. So I spent a lot of time with him during that time. And um, one of the things I felt like he said to me, and when I say say, I don't, hear a voice, Tyler. I wish I did, but I don't, I get an impression. I felt him say to me, Tyler, you love me, but you don't like me very well, do you? And I said, no, I don't, I don't like you at all, because I got five friends, if they had the power to, to change this, they would. You got all the power in the world, and, and you're sitting on your hands. I don't, I love you, but I don't like you. And he said to me, 
You don't like me because you're looking for the wrong evidence. You want me to heal your wife, make sure your kids do well, make sure the church grows. What if the evidence that I'm going to give you, and this is where this sermon comes from, actually. What if the evidence that, that I'm going to give you, that I love you, and that I'm in a good mood when it comes to you, and that I'm, I'm for you, is Jesus. You know I love you because of Jesus. You know I love your wife because of Jesus. You know I love your boys because of Jesus. You know that I'm on the move because of Jesus. You know that's true. You know that's true. And i got to tell you, even though we didn't get that kind of miracle, Derek and Courtney are part of the miracle. Our church family came around us. I, I didn't mow my lawn for all summer long. There was a guy named Aaron Lindbergh in our church, church that took a calendar, and nobody called me. They called him, and there were people in my house. I'd come home from work, and there'd be food in the refrigerator. They, um, they would come and read to her all, all day long because she couldn't. Is God good to me? Even when I didn't get the kind of miracle I was looking for? And then, to make matters worse or better, check this out. You can all see me, right? We're good? Uh, elbow the guy next to you and say, this, this part's going to be really good, to, good for you. Uh, this part's going to be really good. Uh, to, all right, so between her third and fourth surgery, I am sitting in the um, intensive care unit. In Fairview, uh, in the cities, there's a big window like the nursery back there, but a little bigger. And because they can't let you buy them, but... They, they want you to be able to see your loved one. So I'm in the waiting room, the family waiting room, looking at Melody. And then there's a family in the corner that um, is there. And they're looking at their 19-year-old son who um, we're all sitting there. And I'm just kind of listening to them. And I can tell that they're really afraid. I can tell that uh, they're, they're really afraid. And, and the Lord, again, said to me, I want you to go over there and introduce yourself and offer to pray for healing. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't, I don't want to do that. I just want to be left alone. As a matter of fact, and you think at that point, after praying for my wife's healing and we didn't exactly receive it the way that I wanted, do you think that I was full of faith and power? Do you think, oh, I can't wait. God's going to. No, that's not the attitude I had. So he had to pound on me a little. No, no. I want you to go over there, introduce yourself, talk to those people, and pray. Ask me to heal their son in front of them. I don't want to. And we must have fought each other for 10 minutes or so, and uh, he won. And so I, I went over and introduced myself. It turned out that their 19-year-old son, about two weeks earlier, I started just falling over and slurring his speech and all that. So first they took him to be drug tested. It wasn't drugs. And then they took him uh, to the hospital and it turned out that he had a brain tumor on his brain stem. And what I was seeing was they opened him up and realized that it was too complicated, that the thing was uh, just tied around his brain stem in such a way that they weren't sure what they were going to do. So they just closed him back up, and they were going to call in consultants to see what they should do, and then in two days, open him up again. So no wonder they're nervous, right? So I, I say to them, um, would you mind if we prayed for your son's healing? And what was their response, do you think? Sure. <laughs> 
So we joined hands, and I prayed a simple, non-emotional, a little bit of doubt. I've, I've prayed this a lot the last few weeks. Uh, a little bit of doubt kind of prayer. Two days later on the 10th floor, I'm in the cafeteria. I get off the elevator, and I'm going to the cafeteria. And from the other end of the cafeteria, I hear, Tyler! Tyler! Come over here! And it's this family. And they, they pull the chair out for me, and I'm what is, well, I kind of know what's going on, right, uh, already. They said, you'll never guess! And I said, yeah, I bet you I can. They said, they opened my son up. He said to me, they opened my son up this morning, and there is no tumor there. They just sewed him back up. They just sewed him back up, and we get to take him home after he recovers in a couple of days. Let me ask you this. Does God like that family better than he likes mine? How do you know that? How do you know? (laughs) Because of Jesus, that's why. Because of Jesus. So when you face the storm, when you face the storm, you can look at the enemy's face and say, get thee behind me. I am going to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he will enable me to do so. You can say with Joseph, what the enemy has meant for my evil, what? God has meant for my good. It's not, it's not that I have to say that it's good. It's not that I even have to enjoy it as good. But I can understand that when God gets involved, something good can come out of it. So he has them look at their giants. What time do I have to be done? What does it mean when a preacher looks at the clock? Not a whole lot. So um, anyway. So he has them look at their circumstances. In order to have faith, you're going to have to stare down your circumstance. Some of you try to avoid it with overeating. Some of you try to avoid your pain and your circumstance with with whatever it is. I work with 50 or 60 guys every day that have tried to avoid the pain in their life by using drugs and by they don't want to look at their circumstances. And I don't blame them in some ways. If I had to live through what they've lived through, I, I might stick a needle in my arm too. But sooner or later, they're going to have to look at their circumstances and deal with them in the power of the Spirit of God. And they do. And God sets them free. It's messy. It is messy. Real messy. But you're messy too, right? Maybe not as messy as them, but we're all a bit messy. You're going to have to look at your circumstances and draw conclusions Based on your circumstances from the promises of God, you no longer have to draw conclusions about God and whether he's good to you or whether he's not based on your circumstance. You can put that aside. That would be freeing, wouldn't it? You wouldn't be blown by the wind, would you? So let me finish the story here. So they, they report back to Moses in verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does, not flow, it does flow with milk and honey. 
Here's the fruit. But, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the uh, descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amurites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take the possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. They, they make a report, and then they say, But... They started to draw conclusions about God, the promise of God, the person of God, based on what they saw, based on their circumstance, instead of saying, man, this is going to take a miracle from God, instead of drawing conclusions about how God could act and how God could be and all of those kind of things, they, they said, well, God must not be able to do it because they're giants in the land. We all do it, don't we? I've recognized over the years that I have sort of an amnesia when it comes to God. God has done some great things in my past, and the minute something happens, in the minute some Hittite or Jebusite or some giant in my own life, I kind of go, oh, God, are you going to be? Well, of course he is. Maybe not exactly how I want him to, but it will bring glory to him and good to me. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we. In the natural they are. They weren't lying, were they? They are stronger than we. The land we explored devours the living. All the people we saw there are of great size. There are Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak and the Nephilim. We seemed, this is the point, you can let your circumstances make you, make you feel like a grasshopper in your own eyes. You can, you can let your own thought process, you can let all of that happen. And I do, and the power of God, I need the power of God uh, to, to live this way that He wants me to. But your circumstances can start to make you feel like a grasshopper in your own eyes and you no longer have to live that way. Because what God has initiated in your life is the Spirit of God is in you and by which you can cry out, Abba, Father. By which you can cry out, Abba, Father. The same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now lives in me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can say that all I want and I'll never play linebacker for the Chicago Bears or the Green Bay Packers or the Vikings because I run too long in one spot. I'm I'm old. But when it comes to my promised land, when it comes to what he's called me to do, that verse applies to me, don't you think? That verse applies to you. So I no longer have to compare myself to other people. I wish I could get that voice, you know. I wish I could preach like that. I want you to know that God's not dead. He just doesn't like you. No, I'm sorry. Uh, Y'all will get that in a second. But I don't have to be anybody that I'm not, and neither do you. I have to waste my time, and I'm not a grasshopper in my own eyes and in the eyes of God. I think that God is actually in a good mood when it comes to all of us. Why can I say that? Because I always perform well. I always act well. He might be disappointed in some of my actions, but I think he's in a good mood when it comes to me because of Jesus. If he demonstrated his love for me that he gave his only son for me, then why wouldn't he not enjoy me? All of me. 
not just my Christianized or sanitized or teen challengeized personhood, but all of me. This is what happens. Chapter 14, I'm almost done. So stay with me just a little bit more. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly and said to them, If only we had died in Egypt. What? Who initiated them going into the promise? Who initiated them going into the promised land? Whose idea was it? Mm. Not based on their performance, right? Not based on who they were, but based on who God was and who he thought they were. And yet, because they started to judge God by by their circumstances, because they started to blame God by the giants, because they started to look at themselves without the power of God included, they wanted to go back to Egypt. What was so great about Egypt? Nothing. Bondage and slavery. And they want to go back there. And if you're not careful, you'll do the same thing. If you're not careful, you'll do the same thing. You'll, you'll start to judge God by your circumstance, by your everyday activity, and you'll want to go back to Egypt. Remember Keith Green? You want to go back to Egypt where it's warm and secure. You don't want to do that, do you? I don't want to be in bondage anymore. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. How about that? <laughs> How about that? So they want to go back to Egypt or, or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to the land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Did God bring them to Egypt to die? Did he? No. But because they started to draw conclusions about God based on their circumstances, they started to accuse God of something He never intended to do. He never brought them to the desert with the intention of dying. But they're accusing Him of it right now. He brought us out here to die. And if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we can do the same thing. I don't want to be an unbelieving believer. I want to believe. And I believe that we have a right to because of Jesus. Not ignoring our circumstances, not being stupid and going out there in the parking lot and washing a Cadillac that's not there because you're claiming it for the Word of God. What a stupid thing that is. I can say I have a cold. No, no, I'm just manifesting the symptoms of a cold. No, I'm snotting all over myself. I got a cold. We don't have to play these mind games, do we? But we can proclaim the word of God over ourselves and over this community and over this church and over our family and and over our children and over our job and over my mind and over my spirit. I can believe God. He sent me to live and not to die. There is death in it. I am crucified with Christ, but it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I live by, uh, in the life I live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith. How about that? I can live by faith now. That's a solid way to go. 
but not these people, and I don't blame them because I'm the same way in a lot of ways. Then Moses and Aaron, I'm almost done. Then Moses and Aaron fell down, face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of whoever, who were among those who explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, will he not lead us into the land? Those two guys went to the same land the other guys did. And yet they believed that the Lord was pleased with them. How could they believe that the Lord is pleased with them while the other eight do not? So we've said that God is good, and you said all the time because of Jesus. We've said that God is taking initiative. We said that you no longer have to draw conclusions about God and about yourself based on your circumstance. You can draw conclusions while looking at your circumstance straight in the face. You don't have to be dumb or goofy. You can keep your feet on the ground and still think about heavenly things. You can draw conclusions about your circumstance, about yourself, based on the promise of God and know that He's initiating initiating it. And when you look at your circumstances, you can know that God is pleased with you. Why? Why is God pleased with you? Because of Jesus. And we get to be like Him. And because Jesus was secure in the love of the Father, remember when He was baptized? Remember, and the angel, uh, or the, the dove came down from heaven and said, and you heard the voice of God, and you, the voice said, this is my son in whom I love and am what? Well pleased. Hmm. How about that? You look at the, the Old Testament, and God goes to those people before they do anything, and he speaks a word to them. Gideon, and, and this will be it. Gideon is in a wine press threshing wheat because the Midianites have come down every seven years and destroyed their land, destroyed their crops, stole their women, all that kind of thing, and he's afraid. So he's in a wine press threshing wheat. In a wine press, you usually press wine, don't you? I mean, But he's in a wine press threshing wheat because he doesn't want the Midianites to get a hold of the wheat, so he's hiding. The people of Israel had cried out to God. God sent them a prophet, and then... He sends an angel to this kid in a wine press threshing wheat. And his first words to him are, Do not be afraid. The Lord is with you, what? Mighty warrior or man of valor. Come on. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. He's no man of valor. He hadn't done one courageous thing, apparently, in his life at that point. Yet, that's the identity that God wants him to relate to. Because that's the identity that God is calling out. And some of you may be having trouble relating to God in your today because you want him to relate to you from the past. You want him to relate to you how you used to be. And he's calling something else else out in you. And you won't give yourself permission to live that way because... Based on your performance, you're not a man of valor. You're hiding in the wine press. Big deal. So what? God spoke a word over you. 
Live that way. Be that way. Relate to God and yourself from that place. He will help you deal with your past. You're not going to get away with nothing. He will help you deal with yourself. But you no longer have to relate to yourself as a scared little boy in a wine press. You are a man of God because he says you are. It's noon. I didn't do too bad. Hallelujah. There is a miracle. (laughs) You're all still with me, right? So you can know that God is good all the time. And the evidence of that is Jesus. You can know that God is initiating in your life because that's what he wants to do. That's how he is. He demonstrated his love for us when we were still sinners. What happened? He sent it. He, he initiated. If he did that, you think he's going to quit? Well, now you're on your own, son. Go ahead. Psh, come on. He's not going to do that to you or to himself or to me. You, know, you can know that he's still initiating. And you no longer have to interpret your circumstances or draw conclusions about God or your circumstances without the promise of God included. You don't have to do that. And you no longer have to relate to yourself as a grasshopper. In, in humility, I can, I can agree with God more than I disagree with him. 